0: you are tuning in to the third episode of our series, Sci-Fi. This episode was written by Dr. Anthony Tobia, hosted by Robert Wood Johnson Medical School's Med Students, and produced by Mel In this episode, we psychoanalyze The Babadook, directed by Jennifer Kent. To tune into more of our content, check us out at WickedNights.com and on YouTube at WickedNights. Enjoy our deep dive and be sure to tune into our next episode.
1: So, uh, this afternoon's discussion, Night's Watch today will focus on the case, uh, The Babadook. So... Where would the group like to start? Well, she's definitely
0: seeing something,
1: uh, a hallucination of a monster. Um. Yep. So uh, a couple of things probably to discuss, and this, this really is um, uh, this group's perspective and what the consensus is on how you want to literally view what the observation is, and that is, um, is this an, art, an artist representation, the writer-producer, of an auditory hallucination. So are they just showing us what Amelia is hearing? Um, Because that's meaningful and we can say that, uh, that, excuse me, uh, Amelia um, is experiencing auditory hallucinations. On the other hand, if you think that you'd like to interpret this more verbatim and that these are true visual hallucinations, that there's no creative liberty taken by the, the director uh, that's probably going to change our differential diagnosis because once visual hallucinations uh, are observed or are reported, where does the clinician's mind then go? More medical insight. Exactly right. right. So we all, often refer to as an organic pathology. That is, individuals who suffer from visual hallucinations have a higher likelihood of a uh, med- medical condition or the effects of a substance contributing to, the uh, perceptual disturbance, more specifically, the visual hallucination. If we were to adopt that perspective, is there any evidence in this movie that Amelia has an underlying medical condition? And I want you to answer this twofold. One, quite simply, by asking yourself, is there something literally in the script that gives us our answer to say, you know what, these are visual because in scene, in, in time stamp 10 minutes and 30 seconds, we see this, in addition to the perceptual disturbances. What else do we have? What else did you notice? I mean,
0: uh, She had, like, this major trauma five, six years ago where she witnessed the death of her husband in a car crash while she was delivering um, her child, Sam, I think. Um, and since then, that has been a kind of pervasive or a hard topic for her to discuss and bring up, um, especially since we now have evidence that she never celebrates his birthday because it's the same day that her husband passed away. And uh, we don't necessarily know what happened prior to this movie in terms of her symptoms, whether she's having nightmares, flashbacks, you know, uh, feelings of anxiety uh, regarding it. Um, And we can't necessarily deny that she wasn't having them or say that, yeah, they're definitely there. But there may be a component of PTSD involved here um, that may have triggered some sort of psychotic phase or a brief psychiatry
1: disorder of some sort? Yeah, I, I think with a, a trauma that's significant and the consequent behavior, uh, not celebrating her son's birthday, which in itself is probably going to be traumatic for a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't dismiss PTSD. Uh, and then I think once we discover what happened with Oscar, um, certainly people in a clerkship, a psychiatry clerkship, would begin to watch this movie with a specific eye towards any of the signs and symptoms that would rule in for post-traumatic stress disorder, And given that Oscar was, I mean, excuse me, uh, Sam is about five or six, uh, maybe five, uh, this is clearly enduring. So not acute stress disorder, but instead post-traumatic stress disorder. I think she does
0: also mention when she um, has that kind of argument with um, her sister, I guess. Um, She says, or the sister brings up directly that um, she, avoids talking about it um, and has been for many years.
1: And so that's one of the like, kind of the you know, um, take marks, I guess, for PTSD. Yeah, and we could piggyback this on a conversation that we had on all things, but uh, including the uh, kiss hello, right? Avoidance behavior. In what context? Well, here we see avoidance behavior perhaps being part of a larger disorder. Uh, and then, again, piggybacking this morning's conversation beyond just of what in personality traits. Here, you might actually have additional signs and symptoms that eventually rule in for PTSD, and is what we observed with an interaction with Amelia's sister, evidence of that. Other interesting behaviors or scenes observed in Lavaduk pertaining to Amelia.
0: Uh, this is also mentioned by the sister that um, she doesn't like going to the house because it's like depressing at the house or something it's like gloomy and kind of dark so I think it's alluded to a few times that there um, are some kind of depressive episode symptoms. Um, I mean like the sleep problems um, are pretty prominent throughout but it's a little bit like tied with psychosis so um, there's definitely a depression uh, like an MDD or mood you know,
1: episode kind of um, um. yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about tying it with psychosis in just a second but before we before we get there and that, that does need to be discussed, can we now draw a timeline to this in terms of the evolution of what appears to have been or appears to be a major depressive episode? So upon the death of her husband, what is the most likely? What is the single best answer, most likely to appear on a shelf exam? If a clinical vignette, and how cool would this be, mirrored the plot of Babadook, or the Babadook? I, I,
0: it's hard to say because, as far as we know, she's been kind of depressed since like the death of her <coughs> husband. So like the movie starts, and then that's the timeline. So as long as Sam has been living, it's like six years. Right,
1: but let, let's say the the clinical vignette on your shelf is. One day after the death of her husband. So dot dot dot. Like, oh like well, no 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 or just no. Just the dysphoria. The grief. Hmm? Pretty pretty? Yeah yeah. This is a, this is a uh, again. Remember, we're going to call this a normal grief reaction, uh, until it's not. Now again, in in about five seconds, when she starts talking about this shadowy creature in her bedroom. All right, you got us, but. Let's always reset our brains as clinicians as believing that what our patient's story is, is bound in reality and normal. It's always got to be our starting point. So this is a, a grief reaction, otherwise known as bereavement. What if, however, this becomes protracted and clinically significant, right? Persisting complex bereavement disorder, otherwise known as complicated grief or complicated bereavement what happens next if we begin to see additional signs develop including that is additional to the depressed mood including the difficulty sleeping difficulty concentrating etc then what MDD. mdd and five years out that's exactly what might be happening and now we may actually have a case formulation on the etiology for major depressive disorder right. starting out with bereavement evolving to persisting complex bereavement disorder then to a major depressive episode. And perhaps, and this is where the second part of our question is, maybe even major depressive disorder with psychotic features.
0: Uh, I think the thing that I, initially when I was watching the movie, like you were saying, because I'm in a clerkship and looking for diagnoses and the thing, my first thought was schizophrenia, but I was, what I realized we don't actually have a clear timeline of is what symptoms are like when she is not acutely psychotic or maybe during the rest of the year, because I think they, um, the, um, The neighbor says, "I know this is like a difficult time for you. So, is this like, does she have kind of MDD with psychotic features around the time of her husband's death slash her son's birth, or is she kind of baseline um, kind of like psychotic almost? So, like, is it like schizoaffective, or is it frank schizophrenia where she has kind of psychosis throughout the year, and then um, they're not throughout, but you know, like very prominent psychosis, I guess, Um, and then this is like a mood episode." tied to, or like, you know, we don't know the in betweens, I guess, and what she was like, um, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the year. And I think that would be, like, the key distinguishing thing between, like, the, that kind of group of
1: diagnoses. Yeah, Yeah, it would be, and you gave the answer to my next question. Uh, <laughs> it's exactly what we need to discuss. Uh, the answer already provided, timelines and timeframes. Uh, because when people like Amelia present, uh, whether it's uh, in a film, The Babadook, whether it's in an office, or whether it's uh, in an OSCE or uh, test, shelf exam, uh, you're going to see someone in a slice of time that is demonstrating both mood and psychotic symptoms. And you're gonna have to figure out the chicken and the egg. All right, because if in Amelia's case, we actually do go back in time and it is revealed that she demonstrates mood symptoms, specifically depression, without psychosis, then we establish this as a primary uh, mood disorder, specifically major depressive disorder with psychotic features. If, on the other hand, the alternative actually uh, is teased out, that is, Amelia does, in fact, demonstrate in the prequel psychotic features in the absence of mood, and maybe the death is uh, a precipitant of of an additional episode, then this is a primary psychotic disorder. And the name of that psychotic disorder would likely be uh, schizoaffective disorder. Even though we don't necessarily observe anything in this particular movie, we can't definitively rule against bipolar being the mood disorder with psychotic features. And given the prevalence, 50%, we have to keep that in the back of our minds. That is, somebody's got to build this this prequel. One of the reasons why I love this movie is because there's something called, uh, I, I don't think it's a true double bind, but um, it... it, it it kind of runs parallel to what psychology has defined as the double bind, right? Um, Anybody recall what this is? Um, So, uh, Bateman suggested that when individuals get two simultaneous but opposite communications, um, that could cause distress. And in the 1950s or so, it was actually thought to be a cause for schizophrenia. And because these messages within the family structure usually came from mom, it derived the term, uh, the schizophrenogenic mother. Uh, all of the above has been debunked, right? Now, we know the double bind having uh, miscommunication, like doing one thing but saying the other, consistently um, throughout uh, an individual's development could be problematic, uh, despite the fact that it doesn't cause schizophrenia. But you could see how it could Certainly, increase the risk for mood and anxi- anxiety disorders. In a similar context, I take this ending to be very ambivalent because I think at first glance, you almost feel as if I don't know if I could use the word feel good ending, but you kind of take a little bit of a sigh of relief. But intellectually, when you discuss the ending, which of course we're about to do, uh, I think the direct opposite is going to be our conclusion. So uh, I, don't think, I don't think, just as a teaser, things are as they seem. Right? Now before we get there, I want to first talk about and go back to this evolution that we painted, this, this progression of dysphoria in the character of Amelia. Uh, that again started out with a, a normal grief reaction and looks as if it's evolved to major depressive disorder with psychotic features because as she is grieving, we could try to superimpose Elizabeth Kubler Ross's stages of grief. This particular character is fixated in the denial stage, and I think the Babadook happens to be some manifestation of Amelia's denial. I think we're all comfortable in saying that uh, Amelia is fixated at the depressed stage uh, of Kubler Ross's theory, and then, of course, we're working towards acceptance, right? Um, Quick teaching note, right, Uh, teaching pearl: When Kubler-Ross proposes this stage theory for uh, death and dying, uh, she actually proposed it as going linearly through these successive steps but later revised her theory, right? So people can skip steps, right? They can regress back to steps. And as you can see, they can actually cross multiple steps. And that's exactly what's happening here in the Babadook. It really fits with her later revision and serves as a teaching point as to how Kubler-Ross did, in fact, revise her original theory. fits almost perfectly. How does this movie end? So I'm going to just re-ask the question you asked me. Now, knowing what we know about these different stages of grief, how should we interpret the ending?
0: it seems like she's moved towards acceptance because she's celebrating Sam's birthday. They've never celebrated Sam's birthday before. Um, when Sam asks her, how are you doing today? She, like, directly like acknowledging like how she's feeling, she says, I'm feeling a little better today. Um, so it does seem like there's some level of acceptance. Um, because it's still lingering there in her basement and she's still like feeding it, which makes me think that like you're right on the edge of just kind of regressing back to where she
1: was. Denial. Yeah. Right, to the extent that the Babadook is a a manifestation and representation of Amelia's denial, it's there. So we're straddling, I think, um, very, very cautiously, really the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega of uh, the stage theory. Uh, and in one sense, I can, I can understand how this might be acceptance, especially, uh, or as evidenced by, her being able to celebrate mm-hmm. Sam's birthday. But on the other hand, she is feeding her denial, which makes me incredibly eager to watch the, the sequel. Because <laughs> uh, it's going to go one way or the other. And my gut says is that the opening scene is going to give us an answer. And if this movie is 90 minutes, it's probably not going to be acceptance. Right, so I'm gonna say this is probably evidence that is the ending, evidence that she has regressed back to denial and she is feeding that denial um, those earthy worms.
0: I think also if we're kind of um, talking about timeline and we also don't know, like this is immediately after, or this is after the birthday passes, like um, if it's more along the lines of like MWD with psychotic features, like has she kind of returned to her baseline of there's no mood symptoms there's no psych- uh, psychosis anymore um, and you know has she like truly accepted it or has this mood episode with psychosis like is, is it over for the time being and that's why it's kind of in the back just it's gonna you know it can come back like it's I think um, they also show like the door has several like new locks um, around it or something so it's like can it can it come back um, or will it come back maybe? like has this happened before, maybe not to the extent of this particular movie, but like has it happened before on his birthdays or around his birthdays or something, and this is just like another episode that we were getting to see and we just haven't seen the other ones.
1: Right. And, and again, that would be, that would be consistent or uh, consistent with or supportive of this being a primary mood disorder. We would expect more of a, uh, uh, it, being, it being more of an episodic illness than let's say a primary psychotic disorder like Schizoaffective where it's a chronic and persistent mental disorder. Uh, So what appears to be resolution at the end might just be an inter-episode. And again, suggesting that the the sequel's something to look forward to. I'm not not sure if they're making it. Um, But more importantly, perhaps further support of this being a primary mood disorder as we would expect major depressive episodes do occur in episodic fashion. Right. Samuel's behavior is normal and normal for a child because we feel that it is developmentally appropriate. right? And, and this is a little bit of a Stephen King twist. I mean, Stephen King um, will often talk about how um, killer clowns that live in the sores are perfectly fine for children because if they have an imagination that could conjure such a sinister being, they also have the imagination to uh, create a weapon that would kill it. Right? Adults don't have that. You know, if you saw the clown pop out of the sewer, you know, and float, um, that's problematic for us, right, to say the least. So what you're saying, I think, uh, and one point you've made is consistent with where we should look in terms of how to approach this and that it is, it is in fact develop, uh, developmentally appropriate until proven otherwise. Um, that does then bring up the conversation of whether Amelia suffered from postpartum depression. We would expect that the answer is yes. And because of that, was her child able to bond with her? And if not, the condition in children that might result is called an depression. And that might actually then be the counter to this being developmentally normal. So that's something to consider. There might be a defense mechanism here as well. Of course, fantasy is gonna be at the top of our list, right? Um, Again, the imagination that conjures the Babadook is also the imagination that conjures the magic magic and the sword that can slay the Babadook. There's another defense that I want to talk about, and that's splitting, and is Samuel demonstrating splitting as a defense. Individuals at at a young age, uh, especially Samuel, especially a son to his mom, views, in this case, mom as perfect, ideal. right? Um, That's normal. Until one day we discover she's not. Now, whether it's because she told you no, whether she is being persecuted by a Babadook, at some point and perhaps Samuel discovered that my mom isn't perfect. Now, there's a lot of things that happen when that, when that occurs, right? One of the ways in which we can actually get by this conflict, the anxiety that this causes us as a young five-year-old, is through splitting. That is, we split the negative aspects, characteristics of mom to continue and be able to continue to idealize her. And what splits off becomes an imaginary friend imbued with all of mom's negative characteristics. That might be the Babadook. By the way, that's every evil stepmother in every Disney film ever. All right, we'll leave it there.
0: This episode of Tales from the Asylum was written by Dr. Anthony Tobia and produced by me, ML Issa, with research done by students and trainees at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson's Medical School. Tales is just one of our courses that sits at the intersection of behavioral medicine and pop culture. You can learn more about Tales and the rest of our curricula on our website, WickedKnights.com, and YouTube channel, Wicked Nights Be sure to receive notifications about our upcoming events. Just search for us on Twitter and Instagram and click that follow button.